the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Criminals keep breaking the law. I know that may seem shocking, but that's what's happening, and criminals just don't seem to want to cooperate. Uh, They keep breaking laws, including gun laws. Last night in Philadelphia, a guy who should have still been in prison and very much should have still been in prison, got in a shutout, a shootout, I should say, with the cops and needed, uh, you know, he ended up shooting six of them. Uh, the cops were trying to execute a drug warrant when this guy opened fire on them. The standoff lasted several hours. The cops are all okay. Uh, some injuries, but they're all okay. The suspect is Maurice Hill. Now, he's a, a 36-year-old guy. He had pleaded guilty to two gun violations back in 2008. He was not allowed to carry a gun back then because he had been convicted of a felony. So he pleaded guilty, and I think he did about a year and a half in jail for that. He also had a resisting arrest and an aggravated assault on his resume. So obeying laws, uh, you know, hasn't exactly been uh, Maurice's strong suit. And after the cops, and remember, as I said, they're they're going to be okay. Um, after they were shot. Uh, and Maurice was arrested. It took the mayor of Philly about four minutes to call for more gun control. Jim Kenney is the mayor, and this is what he said. He said, our officers need help. They need help with gun control. They need help with keeping these weapons out of these people's hands. Of course, there was a law intended to keep guns out of Maurice's hands, but Maurice doesn't seem to have much use for laws, apparently. The director of legislative affairs for the International Union of Police Associations, named uh, Dennis Slocum, he's not buying what the mayor's selling. This is what Dennis Slocum said. Gun control means passing laws that restrict guns. Criminals, by definition, don't care what you pass. I think I've heard that before. Obviously, uh, what we need is to get the crime-committing community involved in discussions about guns. You know, uh, maybe get their input on which gun laws they might be willing to accept. Uh, Maybe find some that they would be willing to accept and go with those. You know, work out a compromise. At some point, you would think that the crime-committing community would see what all these crimes are doing to their image, and they would, you know, cooperate more, just better for their image. Here's Here's what else Slocum said. He said, for God's sake, they'll blow up things with fertilizer or go on uh, stabbing sprees or use their vehicles to plow plow down pedestrians. The fault isn't the vehicle, it's the person using it. Now, Slocum is a former cop, obviously has a bias towards members of the crime committing community. And apparently doesn't have too much faith in their willingness to adhere to laws. Maybe Kamala Harris or Elizabeth Warren, you know, could sit down with the the leaders of the uh, crime-committing community and work something out. Maybe promise them free college or uh, maybe free shoes or pants. In the meantime, uh, there are a lot of people, including some Republicans out there, calling for more background checks and red flag laws. When we come back... We're going to talk to someone who has spent a long time studying gun control laws and proposed gun control laws, and she doesn't think either are going to have any effect. Of course, she might also be a little suspicious of the crime-committing community. Stick around. We're talking to Rocky Blyer. He's involved with the Miracle League of Moon Township and the construction of a Miracle League athletic field. The fields are designed to make it possible for kids with special needs to play sports. Every child, no matter what the situation, deserves a chance 
to be able to play, to compete, and have a place that's safe, takes care of needs, that's organized. This will be the fourth Miracle League field that will be built. Now we get four places to be able to travel, so it broadens the whole interest of sports. It's just terrific for a community to do that. There's a buddy system I thought was pretty impressive. What's that all about? Kids with special needs have a buddy, a, a child who's in school. It's like having an older brother or sister involved with you, so it's really good in that everybody has human dignity of being able to participate. The website is miraclesinmoon.org. Check it out and let's help make this dream a reality. Hey, Rocky, thanks, and uh, we'll be talking to you again about this project. Appreciate you coming on to talk about it. Thank you for having me. All right, man. Take it it. easy. Rocky Blyer, and we'll be right back. Waldemere is your summer oasis. Beat the heat with Waterworld's incredible giant wave pool, two fun-filled water playgrounds, and body and tube slides for all ages. Or simply float around the endless river or unwind in one of the two heated relaxing pools. There's something for everyone. And Waldemere has thrill rides like the incredible chaos, family rides to share, and kiddie land for your little ones. There's so much to do, you'll want to come back again and again. That makes a season pass your absolute best value. Don't have a season pass well we've got a deal for you purchase a 2020 season pass in full and starting this sunday august 18th your 2020 pass will be honored for the remainder of the 2019 season so you can ride slide and brave the waves as much as you like through labor day plus be all set for next season no better way to finish off this summer details at waldemere.com Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well, trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its powerful technology identifies people with the right experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. You get qualified candidates fast. So, while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for. The needle in the haystack. Four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free. ZipRecruiter.com slash free. You're listening to the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. Well, it happens after every mass shooting. Politicians try to politicize it, and the Democrats running for president didn't waste any time. Uh, somebody They want somebody to do something or everybody to do everything, but doing nothing means, of course, you don't care. And since the shootings in Dayton and El Paso, even Republicans are showing some interest in background checks and red flag laws. Are there any good ideas out there, though, mixed in with the hysteria? Amy Swearer is a senior legal policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation, and she's been studying this issue for a long time. She joins us now. Amy, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, we're hearing a lot about uh, background checks and red flag laws. Um, Let's start with the background checks. That seems like a reasonable um, request. Why would anybody be against them? Well, so I agree that on the surface, you know, it sounds rather reasonable uh, to to expect that people who are purchasing firearms are not, you know, disqualified because they're they're felons or uh, mentally ill. Um, so the problem is that these really aren't hitting at a in an existing loophole. So right now, federal law already requires background checks be conducted on the vast majority of all firearm purchases or transfers. Um, so it's not the case that you can just, you know ship a gun to yourself over the internet. Um, that, that's not how that works. What universal background checks would do uh, would be to require private citizens to pay a federally licensed firearms dealer to conduct background checks prior to any time they transfer a gun to another person, um, even if it's just uh, temporary or a low-risk transfer uh, to someone that they know is not otherwise prohibited. Um, and so it places fairly substantial burdens on people to have to go to these uh, these brick and mortar stores and pay for this background check to be done 
in situations um, where there's really no uh, risk involved. And in fact, it, it can impose burdens in a way that actually disincentivizes uh, safe firearm ownership practices um, because it's creating barriers to those common low-risk transfers. So, I mean, that sounds like one issue for if, if I live in a city and I don't know where that brick-and-mortar place would be that I go to get my uh, start my background check or get my uh, permit or whatever it is. But if if you're living in uh, a rural area, the where how what are we talking about here? So how far could might the closest place that I have to visit be? Right, and that's really what this comes down to is that in some situations this may not be too big of a hassle, uh, but for other people this may impose very very substantial burdens. You know, if if you live out in a very rural area and it's you know, say an hour or two hour drive to the nearest federally licensed firearms dealer, and you just want to, you know, lend uh, your hunting rifle to a buddy to, to go hunting with on his next hunting trip. Well, in order to then lend that rifle legally, you'd both have to go down, you know, drive an hour or two into town, uh, run the background check, pay to have it run. And then when he goes to give it back to you, you'd have to go back and do the same thing oh, every single time. Um, so, you know, it's it, it's a lot of burdens on low-risk transfers, and it's not actually hitting at a problem because what we know from studies is that individuals who are bent on, on committing crimes, um, if they have disqualifying uh, mental health or criminal histories, they just go through illegal channels, either stealing the gun or through a black market where they're not going to do a background check just because now the law says they have to. Um, or they go and they actually pass the background checks because they don't have a disqualifying history. So there's not really an overlap or a loophole there. It's kind of like if you really need to get somewhere badly and you don't have a driver's license, but there's a car nearby, you're probably going to drive it. Right. I mean, to a certain extent, that that's correct. Um, you know, people who are, are stealing cars and, and driving without licenses are, are going to continue to do that, um, even though it's it, it's a crime. And, and in this point, in this case, um, it, it's also then making criminals out of otherwise law abiding citizens. Right. Now, the scenario that you describe with one guy giving a, a rifle to his buddy, what happens now? Is it perfectly OK for someone? I'm not a hunter and I don't own a gun, so I, I'm, I don't know about this. So. If I do have a gun and I just want to uh, lend a, a, a hunting rifle to a friend of mine, can I just hand it over to him? Uh, well, so let's get one thing straight. So under federal law, if you know that your buddy uh, is a felon or is intent on committing a crime, you, you can't uh, even temporarily give that firearm to someone who you know can't possess it. Okay. Um, so right off the bat, that's already a crime. Um, but yes, right now, if you are not um, someone who's in the business of selling firearms or, or renting firearms or anything of that nature, um, you are allowed to conduct uh, private sales um, between people who are also residents of your states. So it gets a little bit complicated because, again, most transfers are actually subject to background checks, um, but it, it, it doesn't impose, right now, the law doesn't impose those types of burdens on what we would consider low-risk transfers. Again, private individuals who, um, you know, are, are lending or temporarily uh, giving, selling firearms to, you know, another person within their own mm -hmm. state. Now, would any of the recent mass shootings have been stopped by the background checks that are being proposed here and there? Well, and that's the key question, because the answer to that is no. Uh, and this is actually something we run into with the vast majority of mass public shootings, that these are individuals who have long histories of troubling behavior. So everyone around them knows that, that they're dangerous, but they haven't actually uh, gotten a disqualifying record. So they haven't actually committed a crime, been convicted of anything, been committed to a mental health institution. Um, so what happens is they end up lawfully purchasing their firearms. In fact, most of these individuals past background checks to begin with. So the problem isn't that they didn't have a background check. It's that no one took official action to disqualify them in the first place. Wow. So how many politicians out there do you think, including the, the, the Republicans that seem to be uh, becoming more and more, um, I don't know, willing to uh, at least consider background checks, how many of those people do you think actually know what the background checks they're calling for would include? You know, unfortunately, I think it's it's very, very few. Um, 
it's it's been the case with a lot of commonly proposed gun control measures uh, that they're being proposed by individuals who don't have a good grasp of what the law already is. They don't have a good grasp of you know what it already entails to be a, a lawful gun owner in this country. Um, and they certainly a lot of times don't have a good grasp on how firearms work or, or how firearm owners work. Um, so there's, there's just a whole lot of misinformation out there on the, the situation with guns and gun ownership and gun violence in the United States. Have, have you, um, in your studies of this, and we're talking to Amy Swear, she's a senior legal policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation. She's done lots of work on uh, the Second Amendment issues. Um, have you ever come across a background check that you like? A suggestion, I, you know? Do, do you mean uh, a policy proposal? No, yeah, yeah. Is anybody out there was was there? Is there a some form of background check that might be uh, actually reasonable and not threaten people's Second Amendment rights? Well, so I, I think it's less about expanding background checks and more at this point uh, about ensuring that individuals who are dangerous. Uh, have those disqualifying histories that that they are either flagged through another process um, or that we're using our civil commitment laws and criminal laws um, to ensure that they have disqualifying records. Uh, because again, right now, uh, the, the, the problem is that they're already able to purchase them legally. So it's more of an issue of ensuring that these background checks are effective because they have the information in the databases preventing these individuals from purchasing weapons. And what about red flag laws? Uh, we, it seems like we've heard those uh, propositions and, and uh, discussion about that uh, much more since these last uh, these two most recent shootings in uh, Dayton and El Paso. Do they make any more sense than background checks? And would they be any more effective? So red flag laws uh, do have the possibility of being much more effective than things like universal background checks, precisely because, as I've mentioned a couple times now, the real problem is that we have dangerous individuals um, who haven't been uh, either convicted of a crime or essentially no official action has been taken, so they're passing background checks and they're legally purchasing their weapons. So what red flag laws would do um, is sort of target and identify and disarm these specific individuals who are dangerous, but maybe not yet uh, mentally uh, ill or in a mental health crisis, who haven't yet committed a crime. Um, And it would allow uh, either law enforcement or those near these individuals to petition a court to say, hey, this person is dangerous. Uh, they're, They're almost certainly going to do something in the near future that is dangerous disarm them, you know, make sure that, that uh, you know, that they're ending up on, on background checks, that they're flagged on background checks, and that they're disarmed in the moment um, so that they can't harm anyone else. And those types of laws, if, again, they have to be narrowly tailored, they have to afford due process, there needs to be a lot of structure in place. Um, but that scenario is going to be a lot more effective than simply saying, well, we need to expand background checks well, because these individuals are already passing background checks. Well, I guess my, my, I was going to ask you about the slippery slope with the red flag laws. Maybe I'll ask it this way. Um, which of the two, background checks or red flag, uh, presents the most likely um, scenario for a uh, falling down a slippery slope? You know, it, it's a good question. I, I think the opportunity for slippery slope is there with realistically any law that could be imposed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what makes red flag laws different from background checks is that they actually have the opportunity um, to, to prevent some of these shootings from happening. That it, it, That is, there may be a risk there. It's risk that has to be accounted for with the way that these laws are structured. Um, but at the end of the day, it is at least addressing a real problem and, and has the possibility of actually affecting uh, and decreasing gun violence in a meaningful way. Um, nobody wants to hear about the rarity of mass shootings uh, when there might still be funerals going on for the, for the dead, who, who, the people who, the victims. Uh, but how rare are they? What we saw here they in Dayton are, and El Paso. I know it feels a lot of times, given you know the, the state of the media and the 24-7 news coverage, I know it feels as though these are happening 
all the time, every day, that every time someone steps foot outside, there's a mass shooting happening. But these remain incredibly rare uh, in terms of just statistics. It's a very, very small likelihood of threat to any particular individual. Um, What makes them really impact our feelings of safety is that they are so random. Um, But these are incredibly rare. Um, It's a fraction of a percent of all gun deaths every year. Um, It's not likely to be your interaction with gun violence on any given day. Um, So again, they're terrifying, uh, but we have to keep the context of, of how rare they are in mind. We do, but the media is not going to do that. They're not going to do that. You know that. Um, uh, we're talking to Amy Swear. She's a senior legal analyst uh, uh, at uh, the, uh, the Heritage Foundation. You did a study uh, at the Heritage Foundation called Mental Illness, Firearms, and Violence. Uh, what did you find out? I mean, I know that's a, a crazy question with a short interview, but what, was the mo- what, what did you get out of that? What's the most important thing you found? So the most important thing uh, is twofold. So first, let's keep in mind that most individuals who are mentally ill are not dangerous. They will never become dangerous. Um, But we do know that there is a relationship between untreated serious mental illness and two types of gun violence, namely suicides, um, which are uh, most gun deaths every year are suicides, and that is inherently a mental health problem. Uh, And then also with mass public shootings. So we know that two-thirds of all mass public shooters have a broad psychiatric history where they were showing uh, very, very serious signs of being mentally unstable. And about a a third uh, quarter of them, somewhere in that range, also had a mental health diagnosis, which is far above what you see um, in the normal population. So there's, uh, again, a connection there, um, but it's important that we don't categorize all individuals who are mentally ill as being dangerous. What about um, the uh, call for banning of assault weapons? That that happens um, predictably uh, in the aftermath of any one of these uh, events. Uh, is that gaining any ground? Does it have any chance? So this is not a, a new proposal. This has been something uh, that, I mean, for decades has been pushed. And in fact, we, we had an assault weapons ban for 10 years um, and it expired. Uh, so it, it's nothing new. Uh, though there is you know, some more push for it. Uh, the important thing to keep in mind here is that we're dealing with, one, a, a type of firearm that is commonly owned by Americans. There are millions of Americans who own these, who regularly use them for lawful purposes, including self-defense. Um, so they have a civilian purpose. Um, but that also these types of firearms are the least likely to be used in violent crime. So rifles of any kind account for about 3% of, of gun homicides every year, which is a very low percentage. Um, they're not the weapon of choice for mass shooters. In fact, uh, about 5 or to 6 in 10 mass shooters actually use handguns alone. Um, so they're being overplayed as a threat that they are not. Um, they're actually the, the least likely, again, to be used in an unlawful context. Um, so essentially you have people who are blaming the wrong type of firearm uh, for the actions of a very sick human being. Are you buying into the theory that white nationalism is a major threat? I know that's separate from the issue about guns and what to do about guns themselves, but you know they're se- they seem to go hand in hand now, that white nationalists and assault weapons seem to be you know, a, a pair now. Right. And this is something that, uh, especially in recent weeks, you've heard over and over again, um, that white nationalism is behind the rise of mass shootings in the United States. Um, so let, let's be clear. There have been mass public shooters who have been driven by uh, extremist ideologies, whether it's white nationalism, um, which is something we've seen lately in El Paso. We've seen it internationally in New Zealand. Um, but when we look again just at the statistics here, most mass public shooters are actually not driven by any sort of clear ideological beliefs. Um, and, and when they are, it can take many different forms. So all that to say white nationalism, just like any other violent ideology, is, is a threat to the public, but it's not uh, some sort of overwhelming, overarching threat. Um, it's one of uh, sort of many different types of threats we have to keep in mind when we're talking about uh, gun violence or about domestic terrorism. Um, so it's a threat, but it, it is not the greatest danger facing Americans. Oh, you'd never know that from listening to the media, would you? <laughs> no, 
No, you would not. <laughs> Amy, I appreciate you doing this as usual. Always good to have you on. You uh, do a great job of clearing this up and making it uh, easy to understand for idiots like me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, thank you. All right. That's Amy Swear. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar says Israel's move to block her and Michigan Representative Rashida Tlaib from visiting the country is, quote, an insult to democratic values. Earlier today, former Israeli ambassador to the U.S., Dr. Michael Oren, said it was a mistake for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to deny a visit by Tlaib and Omar. You don't salute the individual, you salute the rank. And these two members of Congress, for all of what I regard the abhorrent nature of their policies toward Israel, are elected members of the U.S. Congress, and Americans will support, will salute that rank of a Congress member. Oren spoke with the Salem Radio Network. Netanyahu banned the visit because of the Congresswoman's support for the BDS movement, which supports a boycott of Israel because of its treatment of Palestinians. On Wall Street, they're up by 99 points. This is SRN News. When it comes to your pain, many of you might be skeptical, like I was, about ordering Relief Factor. Pat Boone again for this wonderful 100% drug-free supplement designed to help your own body lower or eliminate occasional aches and pains due to aging, exercise, everyday living. I'm not skeptical any longer. The three-week quick start is now discounted to only $19.95. Why don't you let us see if we can get you out of pain, too, at relieffactor.com. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Pick up two bottles of Lico Chops, get the third bottle free. New improved Lico Chops with omega-6, omega-3, vitamin E, and now six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. And dogs love it. Try Lico Chops. Buy two, get one free. This is Henry Lukasiewicz for Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Hugh Hewitt believes he knows which candidate Trump will face in 2020. My assessment of Kamala Harris, I think, is the right assessment of Kamala Harris. I think she's going to be the nominee. So I'm watching her very, very closely. She knows what her numbers are. She knows what the map is. She can extrapolate the momentum effect of a win in South Carolina and California. And she is going to be the nominee. The Hugh Hewitt Show, weekday mornings at 6, right before Mike Gallagher at 9 on AM 1250. The Answer. Are you worried that the next market downturn could rob you of your wealth and your security? Are you concerned that your lifetime may last longer than your life savings? You don't have to be. For over 30 years, Gary Hunt has advocated for strong retirement principles, helping families in Allegheny and Westmoreland generate more income while protecting their retirement funds. And Gary now offers retirement-minded savers and investors a free book so you can better understand what it takes to structure a more stable, secure, and confident retirement. Call Gary Hunt and request your copy of Income Allocation. 844-366-HUNT. That's 844-366-4. Four eight six eight. Homeowners love their Pella windows and doors, and we love how happy we made Susan from Sewickley. I just have to tell you, this bay window is absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's fantastic. <laughs> it really is beautiful. I mean, beautiful. Can we install some happiness for you? Right now, get 50% off installation or 18 months, no payments, no interest. Call for your free consultation. We'll come to you. 888-78-PELLA, PellaPittsburgh.com. This is Chris Abernethy of Abernethy and Hagerman. You don't want the government deciding what happens to your estate or how much they will take. At Abernethy and Hagerman, estate administration is the heart and soul of our practice. We have the experience to help not only plan, but administer your estate properly to protect your assets, minimize taxes, and ensure that your inheritance gets to the ones you love. Decide for yourself. Abernethy and Hagerman. Legal help that lasts a lifetime. Visit a-h.law. Community Bank. City Mission. Number one Cochran. Highmark Stadium. Peters Township Community Center. Angelo's Restaurant. What do all these businesses have in common? Nello Construction. Design and build with one company. Nello Construction. Full service construction from the ground up. Renovation. Expansion. Nello Construction. The choice for business. See the projects. Begin the journey at NelloConstruction.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. 
Got some flooding blocking Streets Run Road between Brentwood Road and Baldwin Road in Baldwin. Scott Township arcing wires Green Tree Road at Washington Pike. There's a transformer explosion on Washington Pike at Vanadium Road. In Bridgeville, an accident Miller's Run Road at 79. Parkway East, very busy outbound Bait Street to Edgewood Swissvale. An inbound from Britain Road overpass to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, the answer, weather. A shower or a thunderstorm will be in some spots early on this evening, and any thunderstorm could produce some pretty good downpours and damaging wind gusts. Mostly cloudy the rest of tonight, low 65. Tomorrow, periods of clouds and sun, 82. Patchy clouds tomorrow night, low 66. Saturday, intervals of clouds and sun. An afternoon shower, a thunderstorm around 85 degrees. With Iraqi weather forecast, I'm meteorologist Danielle Niddle. This is the John Stacker Walt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. <clears throat> well, yesterday the Washington Post released a, uh, a long study that obviously took a really long time to complete. And the conclusion was that uh, the planet may be doomed if we don't do something about climate change and, of course, do it quickly. It's all about the rise in temperature and the magic number is two degrees Celsius. Uh, James Taylor is a senior fellow for environment and energy policy at the Heartland Foundation. He joins the Heartland Institute, right? I'm, I'm sorry. And anyway, he joins us now. Thanks for being here, uh, James. Well, thank you. It is the Heartland Institute, and thank you for having me on today. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's the Institute. Sorry about that. It, it's a long piece in the, um, in the Washington Post, which uh, should do a nice job of adding to climate change hysteria. The headline is uh, Two Degrees Celsius Beyond the Limit. Extreme change has arrived in America. So I guess the question is, would it be okay for me to join the hysteria now after this piece? <laughs> well, hysteria is the proper word because there is virtually nothing factual in the article. And what is factual is irrelevant. The most relevant fact when we're talking about climate change in the United States, after all, that's the topic of the article, is that there has been absolutely no warming in the United States since at least 2005. And that's from the official National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Climate Reference Network temperature data set. So if they're talking about extreme weather being here now, what they're talking about is old news, something that happened, oh, about maybe 20 years ago at least. Now, this is what's amazing. Um, that, I mean, I'm sure you read the piece. It, it, the, this is not a small piece. It's a big deal. And uh, it was obviously uh, a, lot, a lot of work went into it. And you just come right out of the shoot and say that, <laughs> that all the work they did and they didn't get anything factual. How does that happen? Well, what they do is, is typical of these alarmist stories. They actually had a series of articles all thrown together here. But right off the bat, what they talk about, uh, the introduction is how somebody talks about how in the 1920s in New Jersey, uh, the rivers and streams and ponds used to freeze more frequently than now. And implicitly, what we're led to believe is, oh, my goodness, how terrible. We don't have frozen uh, ponds in winter. Well, during the 1920s, we were just escaping the Little Ice Age. It was the coldest period of the past 10,000 years, and it also brought with it uh, plague, famine. Uh, the Black Plague was a big factor in this. You had extreme weather events much worse than today, crop failures all over the place. And as temperatures fell during that Little Ice Age, populations fell throughout the world. So there was a good thing the temperatures warmed before the Little Ice Age, and it's been a good thing the temperatures have warmed since. Now, as I said, though, the warming that occurred when the Little Ice Age ended, we're not seeing much of it now because temperatures right now are no warmer than they were in January 2005 when the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration put into effect its climate reference network. Yeah, they spent a lot of time talking about a particular lake in, uh, in New Jersey, that used to freeze, and they have pictures of uh, going back, some old black and white pictures of guys out there ice fishing, and they say they can't do it anymore. And I guess those pictures were from the the Ice Age, but I read the piece. I don't remember them mentioning anything about an Ice Age. <laughs> of course not. And, and they also would lead you to believe that people today and for recent decades flock north and retire in Canada and Siberia because the climate is so much better. Uh, actually, people vote with their feet, and it's warmer climates not only that have produced record crop yields during recent de decades, not only that have uh, caused a greening of the earth, not only have reduced global deaths that are caused by weather factors, but people are voting with their feet because they move to warmer climates because it is more enjoyable and it is better for human health and welfare. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if it's you. I, we've had you on before, I think, but uh, I know I've talked to someone, either maybe from your organization, that made the point that uh, warm weather is a lot better than uh, having a having a uh, an increase in temperature is a lot better than a decrease. If you, uh, ice ages are much tougher than little warming trends. Right, and and when I mentioned the uh, the mortality data. Well, we know for a fact that thousands, tens of thousands more people in the United States die each year during winter months than during summer months. Cold temperatures kill, and it's not just the United States. The Lancet, which is the most prestigious peer-reviewed medical journal in the world, they recently published a study. What they found is 7% of all deaths globally are caused by suboptimal temperatures. In other words, temperatures that are not ideal. Of those, 20 to 1, the ratio is 20 to 1 that cold temperatures kill 20 times more people than warmer hot temperatures. So right. to say that we need colder temperatures is, is just wishing death upon the human race. Now, my, my, my wife and I both are, uh, we like winter, and I like snow, and I, I, I was disappointed last year because we had practically no snow. I like I like winter to be winter, and I, you know, I, I prefer 28 degrees and a little bit of snow to 37 degrees and freezing, freezing drizzle. You know what I mean? So I, I'm kind of a bit, I'm a big fan of that. But I, you know, I have this perception that when I was a kid, it just seemed like there was there was more snow, um, and and then of course I was a kid in the in the 50s and 60s. So um, am I imagining that, or was there actually more? I'm talking about in the Northeast because the this story focuses a lot on the Northeast, by the way. But was there more snow in the Northeast and more um, uh, ice in the Northeast back 50 years ago than there are now than there is now? Sure, and also when I was a kid in the 1970s growing up in Connecticut, the same was the place, same was the case. Basically, what we see in the temperature history is that the Little Ice Age ended roughly the year 1900. Temperatures rose until about 1945. Then temperatures cooled until the late 1970s. So we had 35 years of cooling, and that's when you grew up, and that's when I grew up. Oh, when that cooling ended in the late 70s, and temperatures have risen modestly since. But U.S. temperature stations still record the same temperatures now, no warmer than they were in the 1930s. The warming that we've experienced that is warmer than what you and I remember in the 50s, 60s, and 70s is merely taking us back to where we were in the 1930s and 40s before that most recent cool period began. So uh, someone like my, my parents would have remembered less snow when they were growing up in the 30s. Most likely. Wow. Uh, and so, but the, I, it seems to me that any of these discussions that I have, that the problem is um, is the perspective that you get from what happened last week, and people thinking that that's over the you know the, in the in the in the time that the Earth has been in existence, billions of years, you know, a couple of years, maybe even a couple of centuries, doesn't amount to that much. Right. Plus, and people are conditioned to think that anything that happens is caused by global warming and climate change as if hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, and floods never occurred be- before the 1980s. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, when uh, Superstorm Sandy, as they call it, hit uh, New Jersey, New York, uh, even on Fox News, Shepard Smith said, you can say what you want, folks, but these things didn't used to happen. Well, I went back and looked at the hurricane data, and what we found is that for hurricane strike in the U.S. Northeast, they occurred much more frequently during the 1940s and 1950s and since the middle of the 20th century, they almost never occurred as our planet warms. So what's, what we've been witnessing is a lack of hurricanes as the planet warms. When we finally get a hurricane, which used to happen more frequently when temperatures were warmer, well, then they blame it on global warming. It makes no sense. We're talking to James Taylor. He's a senior fellow for environment and energy policy at the Heartland Institute. Um, here's the problem that I think there, we have here. You and I have, uh, James. Um, I have a feeling that more people are going to read that story in the Washington Post in the last couple of days than will hear this radio station or visit your website. Uh, and so that's a pretty, pretty uh, important and pretty um, uh, prevalent source there that is going to be uh, promoting hysteria and there's and there aren't going to be too many people who are going to argue with it it is an uphill battle we fight uh, we're going up against a well-oiled climate alarmist machine the vast majority of government money 
of think tank money, of non-government organization money goes on the side of alarmism. The media coverage is all on the side of alarmism. And we have to fight 10 times as hard to win, but then again, we have 10 times the amount of truth and facts on our side as well. So it takes a lot of work, and it's wonderful that your program is addressing this, and uh, I keep working to get the message out on others as well. I think the American people are smart, and I think that when they have access to information and access to facts, I think the truth will prevail. Of course, the problem is that everybody should want to save our beautiful planet. And if you agree, if you disagree with this story in the Washington Post, you are selfish and only care about yourself and you only care about today and you don't care about your children and grandchildren because you obviously are uh, just don't care that the planet is about to be destroyed by us. Absolutely. And the debate between global warming alarmists and skeptics isn't about whether the earth is warming or even so much about you know, how much role humans are playing in it. It's whether we're creating a crisis, whether the warming is killing people, causing extreme weather events, etc. And the climate alarmists have very deceitfully framed the debate in the popular uh, imagination as people who say global, that climate change, global warming is occurring, those who don't. But that's not the case at all. It's are we facing crisis? Because the fact that climate changes, which it always has, by the way, doesn't necessarily make it bad. If climate change is making temperatures modestly warmer, leading to more precipitation, greater crop yields, and fewer extreme weather events, which is the case, then that's a benefit. But again, we're fighting uphill against the public relations machine of the climate alarmists. Well, the, one of the things that they claim is, uh, is that the sea levels are rising. And uh, one of the, one of the uh, reasons given for warming is that the Gulf Stream has slowed down because of all the Arctic ice melting, I guess, and that has caused more water to come toward the shoreline, which warms things up and causes problems. Yeah, it's funny because Arctic ice is on top of the water, not the land, so melting Arctic ice won't affect sea levels, but they like to you know, lead you to believe otherwise. We'll talk about melting ice in Greenland, but from the 1910s to about 2000, 2010 or so, the temperatures in Greenland cooled and the ice sheet grew. I mean, it's a, it's a good thing the temperatures finally started warming and we've had some, some melting there, or else that would signal perhaps another little ice age or full-blown ice age. But the sea level rise has been happening since the mid-1800s at least, and it's been rising at the same pace, the same pace now as it did in the, throughout the 20th century and in the second half of the 19th century. And we were able to deal reasonably well with sea level rise with 19th century and 20th century technologies, so I suspect we'll be able to deal pretty well with it with 21st century technologies as well. Well, they give they give horror stories about people who own, own lakefront property or oceanfront property, I guess, too, um, uh, mostly oceanfront, that, that they are having to move their houses back because the ocean is encroaching on their – it's going to knock their houses down. Well, the sea is rising, uh, depending on which uh, database you want to credit, you know, approximately eight inches to a foot per century. And that's been the case for over a century. Uh, it's something that, by and large, uh, you know, we can deal with. Are there going to be some impacts? Sure. Is it something that you restructure your society, force people into energy poverty, force people into energy scarcity for? Um, no, I don't think so. Well, I have a personal uh, experience. I have a place on Lake Erie on the Canadian side and that's uh, been in the family for a long time. Uh, over 50 years ago, uh, we were playing seven-on-seven tackle football on the beach at Lake Erie, no shoes, and running around in deep, thick, luxurious sand. And if you would go up there right now, our beach is about three feet wide. <laughs> but that's well, 50 year, over 50 years, you know? And what's funny is now that now we're talking Lake Erie as opposed to the ocean. Right. And the climate alarmists have long been saying that global warming is going to cause drought, is going to cause the lake levels to recede, and that this would cause water shortages, and we've seen the exact opposite. Even as people use more water, and they're drawing more water from the Great Lakes and the Great Lake watersheds, still the levels of the Great Lakes have been relatively steady and, in fact, rising somewhat. Yeah, and they, they're saying that the lake is higher now than it's been in 50 years, something like that. And I can see that. I don't need anybody, a scientist to tell me that. But uh, it's just the natural flow of things, right? Well, I, well, yes, and it defies the alarmist predictions. If there's global yeah. warming uh, involved, they used to say that we were going to see drought and receding lake levels, which would be a tremendous catastrophe, according to what they said. And now that it doesn't happen, I assume they're probably claiming that 
Well, no, no, no. Now when the exact opposite's happening, that's caused by global warming, too. I mean, global warming causes everything. Anything that you can predict. Right, right. You know, if you predict both sides, if you predict heads and tails and say global warming causes false, well, then your theory can never be falsified. And uh, finishing up here with James Taylor, Senior Fellow for Environment and Energy Policy at the Heartland Institute. I read the story, and I don't, maybe I missed it, but I don't re- remember reading anything in there that um, listed, number one, how man, the, any proof that humans have caused it, and number two, anything that anybody can do about it, other than, you know, the, the usual stuff of cutting down on CO2 and all that. Right. Well, there isn't much factual uh, basis to anything that's in that article, but we're trying to figure out what the percentage is of human versus natural causation. Carbon dioxide to greenhouse gas, the absence in the atmosphere, you can expect some warming. But we also know that the warming that uh, brought us out of the Little Ice Age began before there were coal power plants, before there were automobiles and SUVs. We know that solar output has increased during the past century. So really, we're probably seeing some of each. But the bigger question is, are we seeing a global warming crisis? And if the answer is no, which the answer appears to be, well, then everything that the New York Times says and that the alarmists say really amounts to a, to a molehill compared to the harm of the so-called solutions that they would impose on this country. Well, James, I'm glad uh, people like you and, uh, and uh, organizations like the Heartland Institute are around because otherwise organizations like the Washington Post would put this stuff out and it would just hang out there and it would not be um, it would not be contested at all at least there's somebody out there uh, say you know telling people to hold the brakes a little bit pump the brakes so I appreciate that well, thank you also thank you also for uh, calling attention to it all right James thanks for being on appreciate it thank you John take care uh, okay we'll be back that's James Taylor of the Heartland Institute. They blow into town with the wind, rain, and hail. And out-of-town storm chasers going door-to-door, often posing as a local company, offering a quick fix to desperate homeowners. If you've had damage to your roof, windows, siding, or gutters and downspouts, you may be eligible to get them replaced or repaired free of charge. Just be careful who you call. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. With over 50 years in home remodeling, Windows R Us is the area's premier exterior replacement company company for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, doors, and of course windows. If damage isn't your issue and you just want something new, you'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. A company who will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Mention Stag for an additional 10% off. Windows R Us, proud sponsor of the Jerk of the Week, heard every Friday on the John Steigerwald Show. WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Driving is freedom. The freedom to keep moving, to control your destiny, and to choose your path. And now, that freedom fits in the palm of your hand. It's called Ford Pass, the only app that gives you roadside assistance. Ford Pass rewards, and now when you buy or lease a new Ford, earn points you can use toward flexible complementary maintenance that gives you, well, more freedom. Ford Pass. Built to keep you moving. Built Ford proud. Visit your participating Ford dealership to find out about getting flexible complimentary maintenance when you buy or lease a new Ford and sign up for rewards. Roadside assistance is included for certain Ford owners and available to everyone for a per-service fee. Ford reserves the right to change program details without obligations. Visit your participating dealer or FordPassRewards.com for program rules and restrictions. Ford Pass, compatible with select smartphone platforms, is available via a download. A couple of weeks ago, we had Rocky Blyer here to talk about his work with Miracle League in Moon Township. Fields for athletes with special needs. Jim Leland, the Pirates' former manager, is also involved in that project. Jim, thanks for being here. Great to be here, John. Great to talk to you. Tell me about the Miracle League of Moon Township. It's just a great thing for these kids, and it's a wonderful opportunity to people to participate. Some people are a little less fortunate than others, and I think it's just a great opportunity for people to volunteer and to help out and put a smile on somebody's face. I've seen the field that they put out in Upper St. Clair. It's amazing. Oh, it's unbelievable the way they construct these things. They have the ramps and everything for the kids. It takes a little stress off the parents. I think it's what Pittsburgh's all about. It's just a great thing. It'll serve Montour, West Allegheny, Moon, Swickley, Weirton, Steubenville, 
Bentonville, Beaver County, and surrounding communities. Approximately 100 to 200 children will be eligible to participate, and it will also serve adults with special needs. So it's a great cause. And if you'd like to see how you can help, maybe donate some money, check it out at miraclesinmoon.org. Miraclesinmoon.org. We'll be right back. Warning. Property protected by electric fence. Sharks sighted in water. Warnings are truly handy. Bridge out. But you may not always get a warning when it comes to threats to your identity or the personal information on your devices. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection includes Norton Security for even more protection. LifeLock uses proprietary technology to help detect identity threats, like your personal info for sale on the dark web. And Norton Security protects up to five devices from ransomware and other online threats. Plus, if you have a problem, our agents will work to fix it. Of course, no one can prevent all identity theft or cybercrime or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but having someone looking out for you... Warning, minefield ahead. ...will help keep you out of danger. Join now and get 10% off your first year. Go to lifelock.com and enter promo code TITTLE. That's promo code TITTLE for 10% off. LifeLock with Norton. More detection more protection. Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. I got a little less than uh, two minutes to go here. I'm, I'm trying to figure out somebody I can have on the show tomorrow to talk about Woodstock. Um, if you know anybody around here who went, I don't know, uh, hit me on Twitter at Steigerwald. Um, and uh, give me an idea, and I might put them on the show. I, I between now and tomorrow at this time, I I may be able to figure it out. But I know exactly where I was uh, fifty years ago tomorrow, and um, <clears throat> it wasn't at Woodstock. Uh, but I did have two two friends, my buddy Goose and uh, Ray. I can remember that. Fr- I, I guess it was a Friday that they left. It was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I think, um, uh, fifty years ago. We were all nineteen years old, and um, uh, actually, twenty and get it, some of us were twenty one but um, they drove from Pittsburgh up to New York and decided this sounded like a pretty good idea big uh, music festival you, you know all the names that were there Jimi Hendrix, Crosby Stills, and Nash uh, everybody who was anybody was there and um, they got within a few miles of it and um, turned around they saw they were smart enough to see that this was not going to be the kind of weekend that they were planning. Um, and, I, and my guess is that they went there without tickets because there were actually tickets sold to the concert. And um, the people who were putting the concert on and that farm up there in Woodstock, they realized that they had thousands and thousands of people there who didn't have tickets. And it was there was no way they were going to be able to keep them out. So they just let everybody in. The babies were born there. And I don't know if anybody died, but it, it turned into a, its own city. So I'm going to try to do something on that tomorrow. I'll see what I can come up with. But 50 years ago tonight, I had no intention of going to Woodstock. And I'm glad. See you tomorrow. The John Steigerwall Show is a production of AM 1250, The Answer, and Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.